Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to uh, be with you this morning. So we've been looking in our series, Kingdom Strategy, looking at um, what does it mean for us as a church uh, to be going where God's calling us, where is He leading us in vision and in mission and in strategy. And uh, we've been looking through Colossians, and I wanted to kind of back up for a second and try and give some context to what was happening uh, in Colossians, and especially in line with Acts. So I've titled this message, The Life Cycle of a Christian. When I was growing up, my, my uh, family, my parents are here today, they're awesome, and uh, when we were growing up, we uh, were really interested in nature, and we'd often be bushwalking or out and about in the bush, and I um, remember one time after a bushwalk, we found a cocoon. Um, we didn't really know what it was, but we took it home and put it in a lunchbox. I don't think I remembered to put a lid on it, but anyway, we, we, we put it inside, and we thought, oh, well, we'll see what comes out of it. And... Uh, uh, I forgot about it. So it went into the office next to the computer and then we, we just kind of, life went on. And a couple of weeks later, I went into the, the, the room where our computer was and there were baby praying mantises across the whole room. They were in the paperwork, they were in the books, they were in the bookshelf, they were like in the computer and on the computer and in the keyboard and coming out of, like when you printed something, there would be like praying mantises that would come out with the paper. <laughs> Literally, every, weeks would go by and there'd be like praying mantises that appeared in the, anyway. And it was a good, it was a good science lesson. But um, <laughs> it was a principle, it's a principle of nature that every living thing goes through a life cycle. Every living thing goes through a life cycle. And so do Christians. There is a Christian life cycle. I think we often think of faith as something that you're either in or you're out, but that's not the way the Bible sees things. The Bible sees this trajectory, this growth pattern, this, this, this life cycle. And um, whenever people meet Jesus, there's always this, this, this life cycle that goes on. And so I want to kind of look at a step back from Colossians and go, what's happening? Where are these people? Why why?" is Paul writing them a letter. And so if we look at the story of Jesus, I don't know where you're coming from this morning, but uh, Jesus was this, this radical teacher in um, this rural area of Palestine, Israel at the time. And uh, he would say these off-the-wall things like, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. He um, would call people to, to see that God's kingdom was about to arrive. God's presence, God with us, was about to come to earth. And he'd go and the people that no one else would love, the least, the last, the lost, the down and outs, Jesus would go and love them. The people that everyone else thought God couldn't possibly love. And, and these people that no one else could love just started following him because they saw God's love in him. And the religious leaders of the day hated it. They hated him because he showed them up for what they really were. They, he showed up that their religion was a farce. And so in response... They organized for him to be executed, to unjustly be killed. They put him to death on a cross in this brutal murder. But three glorious days later, Jesus rose from the dead. His friends went to the tomb and his body wasn't there. And Jesus appeared to them and to 500 people saying, I'm alive and I'm sending you out. Go tell everyone the news that I am king and savior of the world. And so this is this good news. The, the apostles, the the, the Christian leaders of the first century, when they got up and preached, they were telling the story of Jesus. That is the good news. And they, as they told the story of, of Jesus, 
people who were religious and non-religious, people who were Jewish, had, were, were um, deeply religious, and those who were irreligious started to turn their lives around and, and follow him. And so as this happened, Paul started writing letters. Peter and Paul and the other Christians started writing letters to these groups of Christians, these people who used to be something else. They used to be far from God or used to be just following rules. Their lives are radically changing. They form these new communities. And Paul writes them letters to say, here's unpacking what your experience was. I'm unpacking what, what you just went through. This is what's spiritually happening. And on the other side, here's the trajectory. Here's the pathway where God's calling you to go. And so I've got a, uh, a life cycle here that I'm going to try and unpack. Lots of stuff. And we finally have whiteboard markers that aren't orange and invisible now, so I can actually use them. And so, Paul unpacks, where were you before you met Jesus? Were you just like, what, what actually was going on in your life? And if we look at Colossians, we see a whole lot of different things. Paul's big message is, you were drifting separate from God. Chapter 1, verse 13, it says, You are in the dominion of darkness. Verse 21, You are alienated from God and His enemies because of evil behavior. Chapter 2, verse 13, You are dead in your sins. Chapter 2, verse 14, There was this legal indebtedness that condemned us. That literally is this word against us. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 5, We were stuck in our earthly nature. All of this stuff here, at its core, is that Before we met Jesus, and maybe you can see this in your own story, before we met Jesus, we had this settled disposition away from God, which is by nature what sin is. When we talk about, when Christians and religious people talk about sin, what is it? It's not just breaking the rules. It's this settled disposition away from God. Think about it for a second. If God is a good God who created us with purpose and meaning, and He built us for a relationship with God, if in that uh, if, if we were then to turn away from God and go, I don't want anything to do with God, that's, that's distorting the purpose for which we were made. That's the, that's the brokenness which Christians talk about as sin. And so it's this settled disposition away from God. Um, David Foster Wallace, who was an atheist, used um, the language of worship around this. So maybe you're like, I don't know, I, I, I don't really see myself dead in sin or separate from God or, or with evil thoughts and action. That's not really me. Well, think about this. Everyone worships. All of us are, are, are building our lives on something to say, if I get that, then I'm somebody. If, if I could just get this thing, this job, this position, this relationship, this circumstance, if this could be fixed, then I'd be somebody. And David Foster Wallace says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, There is no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. And the only choice we get is what we worship. And the compelling, he goes on to say, the compelling reason for choosing some sort of spiritual type thing to worship, whether it's Jesus or Allah or the four spiritual laws, whatever it is, the compelling reason for choosing something spiritual to worship is that everything else will eat you alive. He goes on to say, worship beauty and, and, and your looks and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And every time you look in the mirror, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. 
worship your things and possession, and you will always feel like you never have enough. It's true. Worship success, and you'll always feel like a failure. And we, we know this. At a, at a deep level, we know this, but the challenge is keeping it at the front of our existence. I think that's actually a really good way of de- describing this settled disposition away from God. All of us are building our lives on something that is away from God. It's, it's trying to find my value in what people say about me, what people think about me, what, what, my, um, what my friends say, what I have. And all of this sends us in this trajectory that's directionless. Because I might be trying to get success, but it's, when it fails, I'm going to just be, be left drifting. I might be defining myself by what people say, but it's going to leave me empty when they criticize me or, or dump me. There's this settled disposition away from God, and Paul says, you were dead in your sins. What's he saying? He's saying, when we didn't know even who God was, how could we possibly be on the right direction until we encountered the story of Jesus? I don't know a whole lot about space and and, and that kind of thing, but I do know that if an asteroid is wandering through space, it's propelled in different directions by the forces of gravity. It might be pushed this way by some planet and pushed that way. But somewhere along the line, if it encounters the gravitational pull of a planet, it gets sucked into the orbit. It starts to get, get drawn in to orbit this planet and sucked into the gravitational pull. And that's, I think, what happens with the story of Jesus. Somewhere along the line, we encounter, and it might not be someone telling us about Jesus. It might be we see someone that's like, I want the hope that she has. I want the meaning that he has. There's something different about them. And I can't, I can't piece it together. And it's, it's the fact that somehow we've made Jesus' story and our story so closely intertwined that people go, what's, what's the deal? And we start to, to get caught up in the orbit of, of the story of Jesus. And I think there's actually three steps along the way where we, we start to... Um, Three mini decisions to becoming a Christian, in a sense. Um, And these mini decisions are, I see it, I want it, it's true, I need it, and I take it. It starts by simply going, I see it. She is religious, but she's surprisingly open-minded. You can be a Christian and be intelligent. The Bible isn't so hard to understand after all. Can you see? It's starting with this sense of it's actually just to, to see at its heart, huh, there's something here. I'm not sure what it is, but there's something here. And it progresses on to, to things like, it really would help if I could believe like he did. An awful lot of really normal people seem to like this church. Jesus seems to be the key. I wonder who he is. Can you see? It's moved from, I see it, to I want it. And the next step, it's true. Somewhere along the line, it doesn't just be, um, this is interesting, or even this is something I want. But somewhere along the line, it moves from actually just an idea to truth. Because think about it. I think a lot of people in society today talk about living your truth. And if you could just like find what, what, what's true for you. But that's not how truth works. Truth is subjective. It's either true or it's not. And so somewhere along the line, we go, I can see why Jesus had to die. It really is the only way. 
The Bible really is historically reliable. You really can't use science to disprove the supernatural. Jesus really is who he claimed to be. Somewhere along the line, it moves from I want it to it's true to I need it. I am a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus really is who he says he is. I know there's a lot of costs, but I really must do what Jesus says. I will believe and live for him. Can you see? It moves to I need it. And then ultimately, generally, um, when you look at studies and different things, people will then try on Christianity for a while. It's like a set of clothes that they put on and go, let me see if this fits. And then I take it. Somewhere along the line, the gospel goes all the way down and it clicks and the penny drops and we go, I, this, is, this is who I am. Now, I don't know where you're coming from this morning, but maybe you find yourself somewhere along the spectrum. Maybe you're somewhere along here and you know, I, I'm not all the way in. I'm kind of, I'm still wrestling. I, I like it. I want it, but I'm still wondering if it's me. And can I challenge you, find where you are at. If you're wrestling with these things, find where you're at and don't stay there. Keep taking steps forward. Maybe some of you have actually found that you've been stuck here for a while. You have actually realized, I've been at the, I want it, and I actually think it's true, but I haven't just taken that step to go all the way in yet. Can I challenge you? There is a spiritual principle that you're either moving forward when it comes to faith. You're either moving forward or backwards. There is no standing still. You're either moving towards God or you're moving away from God. And if you're moving away from God, actually, that's a, if this is true, it's a really dangerous place to be. If, if you are realizing that I'm stuck and you're not doing anything about it, you're moving backwards. You're moving away from God. Don't stay there. Can I, can I challenge you? Move forward. In, in Acts 2, Peter gets up and preaches to the crowd and he's preaching to a religious crowd and he says, you killed him, Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. He's, and actually, that's something we all share in. It was, it was my sin, it was my brokenness that, that held Jesus there on the cross. But you killed him, but God raised him from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. And Peter goes on to say, now Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit, which you now see and hear. And so the crowd was cut to the heart, and they say, brothers, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and believe, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be forgiven. You will be saved. And this promise is for you and for everyone who is far off, to everyone who the Lord your God will call. Do you see? There is a point where we actually have to choose that I'm going to take a step. I'm not going to stay where I am because it's moving away from God. I'm going to step into what God has for me. Now, not only are we orbiting the story of Jesus, and also can I say, if you feel like you're stuck somewhere along the way, come back to the story of Jesus. Come back to this thing of this man who is so persuasive. He just loves like no one else loves. He's, he's radically um, forgiving people. He's radically changing people. Come back to that. And when you come back to that and start orbiting that again, I think it propels you forward. Now, while all this is happening for us, we're going, I see it, I want it, I need it, I take it, all of these things. God is doing something at the same time. And this is what Colossians is unpacking. While all of these mental processes are happening, God is turning you in the inside into a new person. He's convicting you. He's leading you to repentance, going, I, I am actually far worse than I ever realized, but he's also reconciling you, but I am more loved than I could ever dare dream. 
And he leads us, Colossians 1.21. He leads you out of your darkness into his own presence to make you holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Colossians 1.14, he gives you redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. He gives you this new life, Colossians 3.10. He says, in this new life, this new nature, you're being renewed, becoming a new person. He's giving you the Holy Spirit, Colossians 1.8-9. All of this is happening while you're wrestling with this stuff. God's doing a work on the inside and he's adding you to God's family, Colossians 1.12, where it says, he's enabled us to share in everything that belongs to his people. And all of this in the, the Colossians language is the lens of baptism. It's this lens of this symbol of baptism. If, if you've never um, been around Christians very long, you would, you would uh, have probably heard at some point about baptism, which is this symbol that I, my old self is buried and I've taken a stand. I've stepped across the line and I'm not being who I used to be. I am choosing to live for God. This is why Christians believe baptism is important because it's Colossians 3. You, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God and your life, which is Christ. Jesus himself is, is so valuable to you. Think about this for a second. If God was willing to die for you, if he was willing to give everything for you, to move heaven and earth, to be with you, if he was willing to do that for you, isn't that the most valuable thing we could ever hold? Isn't that the something that I, I realized when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also be with him in glory. And this is when we realize, I'm going to put off the old self. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to choose to put my past behind me and step into what God has for me. And this is where baptism propels us forward into apprenticeship. Now, I think a lot of people get, uh, they realize that they need hope. They're drifting through life without God, without hope in this world, Ephesians 3. And they meet Jesus and they are transformed and there is this purpose in life, but then they go... And they're stuck. They, they go, I'm Christian. I've ticked the box. I've added to my life. I know that my life after death is dealt with, but that's, that's it. I'm just going to keep living how I want. But that's not the Christian life. The Christian life propels us forward because Jesus said, go and make methetes of all nations. Now, the word methetes is the word that Jesus used, and it's the word apprentice. He says, go and become an apprentice of me. Come and learn to live in my ways. Jesus said, learn the unformed rhythms, unforced rhythms of grace. Matthew 5, walk with me and work with me. I'll show you how to do it. I love that picture. As we step into a relationship with Jesus, we also step into a relationship with other Christians. And we learn new rhythms and we learn new disciplines. And it's four things. When Peter gets up and preaches on the day of Pentecost and everyone goes, what must I do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized. 3,000 people were added to their number. 3,000 people joined into the church. And what happens? If I look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that the believers started meeting together and they gathered around the apostles' teaching. Let me find it. They gathered around the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. There's four things. Learning, community, shared life, and prayer. This is what it means to be the church. 
It means to be living a life of learning. If you're not constantly being challenged, if you're not stretching your minds to actually accommodate new ideas about faith, if you haven't been to a place where you're actually going, man, this changes everything in my faith, then maybe you're not doing, doing this right. If you're not regularly in a community where you're being held accountable to actually keep growing, and this is, you might say for a second, now I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm not at this place where I can, can, can really help others, that's okay. The challenge here is actually sometimes you need someone to help hold you accountable to say, even in the bad times, keep trusting God, keep going, God's with you, He hasn't given up on you. You need a community and you need shared life. To people in Coro Baptist, can I say, if your only connection with other Christians is Sunday morning, you're not doing church right. And ultimately, prayer. If your only connection with God is Sunday morning, then you're not doing faith right. The point here, it got awful quiet all of a sudden. The, the point here is that this is the calling of a church. Church is not something you come to Sunday morning and just sit and, 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 and listen to and then live the rest of your life. It's entering into apprenticeship with Jesus, where Jesus starts to form you into his image. He starts to shape you. He starts to mold you. He starts to change you. And this propels you forward. It propels you into maturity. Colossians 1.28 says, Paul wanted to present everyone mature in Christ. Colossians 4.12, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I love that, that you may stand firm in the will of God. Can you, what would it be like if we had a church that was so secure in who Jesus says they are? They knew that I'm not what the world says. I'm not what other people say. I'm not even what I say I am. I'm who God says I am, and I stand firm in that, mature and fully assured. If we were a church like that, something would happen. This picture of maturity is that as we develop these new rhythms and these new disciplines, this life starts to form Christ in us. Colossians 3 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll start to look more like Jesus. This, this propelling forward leads you into maturity where you kill your sin and you form Christ in you. Now the challenge here is Colossians says, he says, put off the old nature. Put off sexual sin. Put off anger. Put off rage. Put off malicious behavior. Put off slander. Put off dirty language. Put off lying to each other. He's saying, if you're not regularly cutting out the old parts of you, the parts of you that, that were what you used to live in, if you're not taking the energy to go, I'm going to pull that out of me and I'm going to form Christ in me, you're not going to start to form like Christ. That's maturity. Now, we don't do this on our own. We need God's help. It's all grace. The Bible's picture is that I can't save myself. I was dead in my sin, but the Holy Spirit came and gave me hope and a future, and He starts to work on the inside, but He works with you. It's a partnership. It's an apprenticeship. It's this sense of God starts to take you and change you and form you. Don't leave this to chance. If you think that this is just going to happen, don't leave it to chance. It doesn't happen by accident. It's intentional. It's intentional. You're either moving towards God or away from God. You can't stay still. Now, 
Maybe you're like, well, I don't know what needs to change in me. I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm doing okay. Maybe the challenge is that the sin is apathy. If we're not being regularly challenged to go, I need to put something aside and move towards Christ, maybe our sin is apathy, that I'm actually not passionate enough about God. I'm not wanting to step into faith more. And we need to repent and go, God, I want more of you. I want to press in. If where you were today is not better than where you were a year ago, we're not moving forward. But praise God, I, I thank God that I think that a lot of us are moving forward. We are stepping into faith. We are further along. I love that so many of our youth are actually growing. Man, last week, uh, Jake shared uh, at Glow, and he was sharing the things that helped him grow over this last year. And he was listening to podcasts, and he was talking to other Christians, and he was praying. And I was so encouraged, because where he was now, it's crazy different to where he was a year ago. Man, wouldn't it be great if we were a church that were constantly pressing into maturity? But if we don't stay at maturity, we move to equipping. Because this isn't a stuck thing. We don't just reach this and, and then wait till heaven. The end goal is to be united with Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, you will reign with him in glory. That's our hope, but that's not the end of our journey. The life cycle keeps going to equipping. Now, let me note here, equipping is further along the maturing, but don't be deceived. Just because maturity is after, uh, equipping is after maturity, you're not equipped after you've finished maturity, but you are equipped after you've started. Once you've started the process of putting off your old self and putting on the new self that, that starts to look more like Jesus, once you've begun that journey, at the same time, God is equipping you to send you out. Maybe, yeah, maturing. That's good. Um, at the end of the letter to Colossians, Paul says in chapter 4, he says, Let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. He says, I want you to be so equipped that whenever someone talks to you, you're on mission. See, this cycle starts again, and it's actually not, um, you're not called out of society to just go and live your own life in a Christian bubble. No, you're equipped to go back into the mess of life and to point people back to Jesus. You're sent as a missionary. The, the cycle starts again, and it's this perspective change to see every moment as a missionary encounter with fresh eyes. You're in the shops, but you're not just in the shops because you're on mission. And you might be walking the aisles, but you can be praying for people and maybe encouraging the people you see. You might be at sport, but you're not just at sport. You're on mission because in that moment, you're, you're standing out. You're different. You might be, uh, you might be uh, having a conversation at work or at school, but you're not just having a conversation. You're on mission because every moment has potential for God to bring breakthrough. It's not just what you do, it's what you see. And God gives us fresh eyes to see every moment as sent back into the mess of life to see people who were where we were. They were where we were once upon a time. We were there. And if people were without hope and without God, aren't we sent back to them to reach them and point them back to the story of Jesus? And we become that planet where Jesus' story and our story is so blended together that people start to see us and go, there's something different about him. 
There's something about her that has more hope than me. I, I want what she has. But it doesn't start until we go, I'm going to speak. I'm going to be all in. I'm going to let God change me. I'm going to be made into a new person through baptism, through conviction. I'm going to start these new patterns of this apprenticeship. I'm going to mature and I'm going to be equipped and I'm going to be sent. And once that happens, we realize that God is using us and he's starting to make us like Christ. And within all of this, we're reminded, Matthew 28, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The whole point of all of this is to say God is with us and he wants to work and partner with us to send us back out. Don't be stuck. Maybe you find yourself somewhere along here and you're like, this is what I'm working at at the moment. Great. Keep going. Move forward. And as you move forward, God will transform you. That's my prayer for each and every one of you. And I think when, when that happens, something really amazing could happen. Let's pray. Father, Thank you, Lord, that you are at work in our lives. Thank you that you're not leaving us where we are, but you're sending us out with resurrection power. Thank you, Lord, that there is hope for every single one of us, that none of us are an accident. And thank you that you've brought us to know Jesus. Lord, if we don't know Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would lead us to repentance and conviction and faith. If we haven't taken that step, Lord, I pray that you'd lead us to baptism, to change, to apprenticeship. But Lord, I also pray that you would point us to be equipped, to mature and to change and put off our old self and put on the new self. And as we do that, Lord, thank you that there is so much ahead, that the best really is yet to come. And I pray, Lord, that we would be so full of hope that people would go, why are you different? In Jesus' name, amen.